with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the are there any spirits that want to talk to us today? Ooh, oh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. And I am here with my, oh, I am Ron Kohler, by the way. And I'm here with my co-host, the Blonde Bombshell, out in the great A La Naturale. There we are. Yeah. Where are we in? We are at the, it's actually the Council on Aging slash Community Center in East Bridgewater, but it's also known as Sachem Rock. Fun. Oh, that took the fun out of it. Conservation. I know, right? So we are here at the reported haunted Amasquaba Rock. What? Whatever it is. Amasquaba. I don't even know what he's talking about. What is this oh, rock? Oh, my God. This is Sachem Rock. This is Sachem Rock. Sachem Rock. Where Sachem haunts it. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Does he have horns and a tail? I don't think so. No? I don't think so. It's a different Sachem. So we decided, so we thought, uh, what are we going to do for the Halloween show That's right. this year? And I'm like, ah, you know, we do the same thing every year and we, we doll up the studio and doll up ourselves. And uh, doll up ourselves. And although last year we had to do uh, the COVID edition, yeah. <laughs> so we had to do it from Zoom, which I never want to hear that word again. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I, I thought, let's do something. Let's go on a road trick. That's original. I know, oh. we do for another road trip. Everybody's like, oh my God, not another road trip. No, so now we're doing a, a live, uh, actual road trip, but we're just sticking to East Bridgewater today because there's a lot of stuff that's happened in this little town and there's a lot of haunted locations. It is part of the East Bridgewater, no, the Bridgewater, Bridgewater Triangle. Triangle. Yes. yes, it is. We are in the heart of Bridgewater Triangle. And so we ended up here. Mm. And it's kind of nice. It's nice to be outside. Except for the dragon of the chairs. Ron had a lug. <laughs> Both our chairs off a hill from the parking lot. But he's still breathing. He's still upright. For now. So that's good. For now. But so, what's behind us anyway? So behind us is not a green screen. It's an actual marker, monument. And this is marking the site of Sachem Rock. So, Sachem Rock, oh, there's a lovely truck rolling by out on the road. Oh, was it a demon? A amazing demon <laughs> coming to get us. Sachem Rock was where East Bridgewater, actually, at that time, it was comprised of East Bridgewater, Bridgewater, and Brockton. Uh, this area of land was purchased from the Wampanoag tra tribe for wait i have to get this out and i have to put on my glasses it's on the rock in back of us but it's in back of us so i'm going to have to read it off the sheet so uh when the uh, pilgrims landed at plymouth they simply claimed the land for their own of course because that's what we that's do what we do <laughs> we come to a country that isn't ours and we just say here's our flag we now own this so they simply claimed the land for their own, nothing of value changed hands. But when they wanted the land around Sachem Rock, they paid for it. And it was one of their first 
inland purchases and uh, three heavy hitters from the already established Plymouth Colony, Miles Standish, Samuel Nash, and Constance, Constant Southworth traveled to Sachem Rock on March 23, 1649, and transacted the deal with the Wampanoag tribal leader, Massasoit. You may have heard his name before. Is that the same guy that's in Crosby, Nash & Young? Uh, no. Oh. I don't think so. That was a different explorers. Where did you get that? <laughs> I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. The purchase price, seven coats, nine hatchets, eight hoes, the kind you dig Ooh. the earth with. Oh. Before you go there, 20 knives, four moose skins, and 10 and a half yards of cotton. So basically, so this marker marks the spot, but behind it is an enormous, it's a granite outcropping. And uh, it's about 150 feet long and 30 feet wide. Actually, it's unimpressive. I'm it, sorry. It is unimpressive. I still think it's more impressive than Plymouth Rock, though. Oh, I'm God, sorry. yeah. There's a big... Yeah. There it is! There's Oops, there it is! <laughs> so it uh, extends, uh, the purchase extended seven miles in all four directions. And I, how many acres? I forget how many acres I said. It's like 31 acres. It's, exactly. It's an enormous, beautiful plot of land and it is now owned by the town of East Bridgewater. But one of the bloodiest times in early American history erupted between 1675 and 1676. I remember that. I know you do. With King Philip's War, as the Native Americans and the colonists fought. And in East Bridgewater, right here, nine homes were burned by the Indians. Massasoit, also known as Usemequin, signed a peace treaty with the Pilgrims on March 22, 1621 and kept the peace with the Pilgrims during his tenure, which lasted until his death in 1661. So a lot of carnage happened here during King Philip's War, and there's actually another rock, <laughs> another memorial another down near rock. the road that marks the spot. It's literally probably uh, a couple hundred feet from here where they burned down uh, one of the houses the houses so it was right here yeah so that's pretty exciting it is exciting yeah so they had a fire sale <laughs> yeah, they did. oh yeah they did yeah so is it haunted i i think so i i don't know whether it's more of a native american kind of vibe up here i know our good friend mike markowitz has recorded evps up here that said i want to kill you uh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Ron hears that every day. Mostly from women, by the way. I, don't, <laughs> I have no reason why, but... Hmm, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Let's think about that. So I don't feel like there's a haunting here from, like, people who used to live in the house. But right now, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot, and I think that if you are Native American, I know they've had a lot of like drum circles and things up here. Oh, they have? Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there yeah. is definitely that vibe out here. I will give you that. And uh, I'm sure you can't see it on the camera, but uh, there's also a house behind us. And you, you told me a little story about the house when you came here too, whose house it was and so forth. 
So the house that is now kind of the heart of our Council on Aging slash Community Center used to belong to Dr. Bannerman. And when we were kids, we used to come up here. This is where he came. He was a little country doctor. His office was in the basement of his house. And he'd open the little pocket door and you'd go in and you'd get your shot or you'd have your checkup or I actually came here. My husband and I came here to have our blood test done. Oh! We got married. The rabbit die? <laughs> he was still, oh, not that blood Oh, test. not that blood test, the yellow one. But make sure you're not related so you can ma get, actually get married. They, so still, they still do the, the one for the, the syphilis? I have no idea. When the baby's born? <laughs> Do they, have to, do they have to do the silver nitrate on their eyes? I don't think don't so. Don't you remember? That's That was a big I deal. I, I remember back in the day, yeah, that. that's what they used to do. They had a whole bunch of strange tests back then. Oh. Killing rabbits and Maybe when I sacrifice born, a rabbit for that, a baby. But not when my children were born. <laughs> okay. Uh, Maybe they just have another way now of synthetically doing it. Probably have yeah. a more sophisticated More method. sophisticated. Yeah, it was silver nitrate they used to oh. put it on their eyes. Yeah. Well, anyways, that's exciting. So this was, this was always the the Bannerman estate, and it is beautiful. But then the town bought it mm -hmm. for like a million dollars back in '98 or something like that. But it's a it's a nice spot, and there's tons of trails to hike on and bring your dogs up, and you can see the rock. Yeah. Sage If you want to. <laughs> So we have a whole veritable potpourri of locations we're visiting today in East Bridgewater, all in East Bridgewater. All part of these, the Bridgewater Triangle. There you go. So, so stay tuned. Oh, wait a minute, what? wait a minute. I'm feeling something. What? I think I'm getting a message. Oh, uh-oh. Yeah. Oh. oh, no, just Facebook. <laughs> we're good. All right, keep watching. We're gonna go to See where we location. go next, yeah. It'll be a interesting. <laughs> we hope. So we'll see you in just a minute. Okay, so here we are, another spot on our road trip, I guess you would call it. Real road trip. Halloween road trip. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, we're at the uh, Carver Cotton Gin Factory, one of Ann's old haunts. Well, since yeah. I'm a, only a man and I know nothing. Uh, you know quite a bit about this place, right? I do. Yeah. I do. So this is the uh, Carver Cotton Gin Factory in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and they manufactured pieces the of the machinery that went into constructing the cotton gin. And This it, wasn't like the drinking gin. Not the drinking uh, gin. No, the cotton gin cotton that gin. makes the, you know, rakes out the seeds yeah. and stuff out of the cotton. I don't know all the particulars, yeah. but that. And it uh, dates back to the 1800s. Oh. And it was, I think, in business here until the early 70s, maybe into the 80s. I'm not sure. Really? That late? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and then it was relocated uh, down south. So unfortunately... Makes sense. That's where all the cotton is. Right? Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people, unfortunately, here lost their jobs who had worked here their whole lives. I mean, there's there's whole families of of people, you know, father, son, Jeez. and so on, would come and work a cover cotton gin. So it was a so they had, like, all big staple the floor here. And stuff? Yeah, they had big machinery, uh, all kinds of heavy duty uh, 
you know, welding and cutting. And, wow. Uh, there's, unfortunately, we're standing in front of what has now collapsed. Yeah. It's, it's a storage facility now. But a lot of the, what you can see in back of us, even as recently as three weeks ago, just has collapsed because it, it was never maintained and it's, it's just rotted away. But yeah, you, it, you used to be able to see all the pulleys. There was a big pulley system up in the uh, ceiling, which would, you know, run and whatever, power the machinery. And it was uh, pretty cool to see back in the day. I wonder if they had the pneumatic tubes. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think they had that. Those are cool. You ever see those? No, I haven't, but I, I, I have yeah. heard of them. Yeah, they used to send like receipts and stuff up to the office. Yeah. Well, I think the offices here were actually across the street, and that oh. that building also uh, just fell apart and was ripped down maybe like ten years ago. That's but, a shame. Uh, it is a shame. Pieces of history lost forever. Yeah. But this is a very cool spot, uh, a haunted location. And my group, East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, investigated back here, I think it was 2008, thereabouts. So it was quite some time ago. When we were here, everything was still standing in the back of us, uh, with the exception of the building to my left, which the floors had already collapsed. There were three floors which had collapsed, but you could still go in there. And uh, it was very cool. So I'm, I'm kind of... Isn't that funny? That's the part that hasn't collapsed. I, the outside, yeah, yeah. The outside is the still yeah. still standing, but yeah, the rest of it is just kind of pancaked. So, but at the point in time that we investigated, the only part of that area that was still intact was the nurses' station. Very That's weird. That's bizarre, huh? Very, very weird. Yeah. And I do have a little uh, recording from that investigation that we will drop in and play for you and you can hear firsthand about our account here. So Roy, can you tell us what's been happening here, uh, what experiences people have been having in the building? Sure, no problem, Ian. Uh, I've worked here about nine years, and in those nine years, I've heard a few different stories. One was a gentleman was working on a lathe upstairs, a piece of metal came out, hit him in the neck, started bleeding. They carried him through the building to the nursing station, and he died in the nursing station. In that area, we've all felt uh, a cold feeling, like there's somebody there watching us. We've heard sounds above, you know, above us from the floor above. Uh, it's very spooky sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a security company in here when the building was vacant, and they had a Doberman. The dog would not go up the stairs. He would refuse to go up, <laughs> which makes you wonder. The dog supposedly have you know those six cents. Mm -hmm. Other stories you've heard: we've had a night watchman that supposedly died on the property. Mm -hmm but we have seen shadows patrolling the area. And when there was a key station that they used to use for their clock they used to wear in their belt, we put the key in the box, the key would be hanging down, and we know there was nobody on that floor. Don't know if it's true, these are stories, right. and you hear many different stories. But everybody that's worked here has heard sounds, has heard footsteps when there's nobody in the building, has seen shadows, you know, a movement out of the corner of your eye, they're really spooky. Wow. And like I said, I've been here nine years, and when I started, I was, I was afraid. It was spooky. Uh -huh. Now, it's kind of a way of life, right. and they don't really bother me that much. But that's about it. So we just, we just live with it. That's good. Yeah, they're friendly. Great. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. So we had some weird light anomalies here, and 
it was hard because there's a lot of uh, overhead lights and things to get like you know EMF readings and things like that. Did you that. get any EVPs but, or anything? Uh, Mike got a few EVPs. We cool. we did get some EVPs here, but it's just a spooky, creepy place. Well, thank you. In I general. mean, I've heard you talk about it so many times, so I'm glad you uh, you know took me here so I can at least feel the ambiance of the place. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No East Bridgewood is most haunted. Here. <laughs> But uh, you got more uh, places in store for me, haven't you? Yes, we do. So why don't we uh, pack up and head out to the next one? Awesome. We'll see you at our next location. Okay, here we are, our next stop on our haunted tour of East Bridgewater. <laughs> and I am Ron Kolick again with Vaughn Bombshell, and we are in the Central Cemetery. Yes. But, you, you know, ever since we've came here, especially at this spot, I've had this sinking feeling in my stomach. <laughs> I, I don't know, I can't explain it, but I don't know. So why are we here, Ann? So we are at this stone, and this is the stone of Francis Davis Millette, who was a very famous artist and traveled the world. He was world-renowned, and he died when the Titanic sank. No way! Way. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That Ron had that sinking feeling. I know. He did. He went he he went down with the ship. He was on the Titanic. He was traveling from uh, France, I believe, and was last seen helping women and children and people into the lifeboats. Aww. Yeah. And uh, they did recover his body. Oh, that's good. And here he is buried. Oh, yeah, that's right. Why would we have a gravestone so there's no body? Yeah. Although they do have him, but yeah. Yeah. Buried in little old East Bridgewater, we have a Titanic victim. Let, let me give you a little backstory here because I do have some information. Well, this is good. So y'all know. I love history. Who he is. He is, he is a big deal. He is a big deal. You can put his picture up on the screen. So, too. yes, I will. Yeah. I will yeah. put up a picture of Mr. Millet. Mm. So he was an American academic classical painter a sculptor and a writer. And he died in the sinking of the RMS Titanic on April 15, 1912. Uh, he was born in Mattapoisett, which is probably about 45 minutes or an hour. It's easy for you to say. South of here. Matta, yeah. Matta, whatever. <laughs> or kind of more towards New Bedford, I think. Uh, so he had a really interesting life and he joined the Massachusetts Regiment at age 15. Isn't that amazing? What? Yeah. 15 years old. They would old. have a 15-year-old. Uh, In the so, Army. Yeah. Wow. So uh, he entered the Massachusetts Regiment as a drummer boy and then as a surgical assistant to his father. Can you imagine if you told some 15-year-old, you got to go in the Army? Too? Oh, today? Yeah. No. No, 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 no. So, yeah. Do they have Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so his father was a Civil War surgeon. So he assisted him at that time. So he actually pointed to his experience working for his father as giving him an appreciation for the vivid blood red that he frequently used in his early paintings. There's one of his works called The Sea of Galilee, which hangs in the East Bridgewater Public Library. Get out. Yeah. They have it here? 
Yeah. Is it a real one of those? Yes. Or a reprint? A real one? I believe it is. Wow. And it takes up a whole wall. A whole wall. So yes, he was he was a very, very big deal. So he, uh, let's see, he was among the founders of the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and influential in the early days of the American Federation of Arts. So he was all over the world and so he ended up over in France and I don't know what he was doing in France at the time that he boarded the Titanic, but uh, he boarded the Titanic in Cherbourg, France, bound for New York City, last seen helping women and children into the lifeboats. His body was recovered after the sinking and returned to East Bridgewater, Mass, where he's buried in Central Cemetery. Right here. So it's really pretty amazing that someone of this magnitude would be buried in our little old town. So that is Francis Davis Millette. And actually, I believe the studio that he worked in, there used to be a, a sanatorium here, just over the way, uh, which was broken up into a million pieces and moved all over town back in the, the 1800s. Uh, but it was like a tuberculosis hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they believe people should have fresh air and sunlight, and that would cure you. Yeah. And Jan's parents went through that. Oh, really? In fact, that's where they met. Oh my God! In really? In the hospital. Yeah. In the hospital? Yeah. Oh, that's the crazy. TB. But his studio was just down the Plymouth Street Hill, and it was a piece of the sanatorium, I believe, that got broken apart. So yes, but so fun fact. I used to play in this cemetery. This is, I talk about this a lot. If you've listened to Ghost Chronicles, you've had, heard me talk about this a lot, how I grew up and rode my bike in the cemetery and climbed the trees in the cemetery. We used to come as kids to this grave, had no idea, of course, who this guy was. But for some reason, you know, well, we saw he went down on the Titanic and we would always come here and we'd like pick dandelions and leave little flowers on oh, the grave. that's sweet. But we always did that because I think we thought it was so cool that someone from the Titanic would have been buried here. So is cool, this is one of my childhood haunts. So that's, we decided to come here today and talk about Francis Davis Millette. You know the uh, exhibition for the Titanic is haunted? Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I'll have to tell you about that sometime. Well. Who was the guy who came and did that whole, he did a great presentation for us at SpiritQuest one year. Uh, a guy, okay. That I can't remember his down. name, that I can't remember his name. Down. A guy at SpiritQuest, okay. <laughs> mm. He, but he came up and did a whole thing about the Titanic and the ghosts of the Titanic. Good. I'll look it up, I'll find it. Find it before I edit the show together. There so go. there and then I'll, I'll tell you later. So that is our story for this stone. Right. But we have another stone to visit here of someone who was- Another in, mystery? He, he actually was a murderer. Ooh, my type of people. So we're gonna stop off there next. But you're probably wondering, why are you wearing that hat, Ron? That's right. Right. Why are you wearing that hat? This is. We're in the cemetery, right? Yes. This is an actual 
undertaker's hat worn by an actual undertaker yes that's right so there you go you'll hear more about that story and the glasses are from steve parson oh well he left them for me then they must be very cool yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> all right on to our next stop we'll be back stay tuned over the chairs are back where they belong thank god and I am wearing this wonderful, wonderful hat that was given to Anne by some young lady, some beautiful young lady. And uh, Anne, uh, I stole it off her. So he did not steal it. Wow, well, I did. Not at all. Okay. So Kathy, Kathy DiNapoli is one of our wonderful senior volunteers who assist us here at EBCAM. And, and helps make next generation possible that's correct 100 percent <laughs> correct because they are always here to support us and help us behind the scenes and now kathy gets to be on camera too but kathy gave me this wonderful amazing hat it is an antique and we are gonna we're just gonna like let me her, right it matches ron perfectly <laughs> but we are gonna let her tell the story but i just want to say that kathy gifted me this hat and i absolutely love it but you can look at it anytime sitting, you want. i know right it was sitting on a shelf in my office and i was looking at it one day and i thought that hat is really small it's it's even it's even small on me and it would fit ron's head perfectly because ron has no brains very <laughs> small <laughs> noggin <laughs> So you know what they say, after small noggin. What? Big. No, don't, don't go there. Can we not go there? So after big the last feet. show, <laughs> big feet, uh, I, I said, hey, I think this hat would fit you. And he said, are you giving me this hat? And I said, yep. yes. <laughs> I started drooling and going, oh, he was oh so excited. lovely hat. He's like, oh, I love yes, you. Yes, Van Helsing does have a heart. He said he was very touched. But Ron said, let's have Kathy on the show because I would like to talk to her about this hat. So here she is. We want the so, ambiance. Here I am. Yes. What yep. is it? Well, so Ron, that hat belonged to Charlie Diario. And Charlie was born in 1905. I'm not quite sure when he passed away, but his father owned a funeral home, and he and his two brothers also became funeral directors. Eventually, after his dad passed away, his brothers each decided to work with a different organization, and so Charlie maintained the Diorio and Sons Funeral Home on Westminster Street in Providence, Rhode Island, until probably sometime in the 80s. Wow. And then he sold out to another uh, family called Gatone, who owns now a number of funeral homes. The individual funeral home is a thing of the past. Mm -hmm. Most of them just That's true. don't have the wherewithal to be able to yeah. hire a staff. You know, I did some research on it. I tried to find out more on myself. It appears that it's apartments now. Yes, I would not doubt that. It, it, it was a beautiful, big red brick house. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, really, yeah. really, really beautiful, uh, as, as many of those houses are in that, in that area. So anyway, Charlie and his wife, Pat Pasqualina, uh, had three children, Lois, Robert, and Sylvia. 
and Robert married my cousin, Ann Donnelly. And so this is a little off the Undertaker side of the story, but you have to remember, this was in 1964. And she was Irish. She was Irish. He was Italian. So this was a, practically a mixed marriage in those days. <laughs> true. It's true. It, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And because I remember a friend of my brother's stopped in the house right after Ann had gotten engaged to Bob. And his name was Bot Laverti. So he was Italian. Oh, boy. So my mother said, yeah, Ian just got engaged. He's Italian, but he's nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, my God. On that same line, <laughs> wow. my, uh, my aunt uh, told my mom, uh, my, my brother Bill, I mean, we're Polish. My brother Bill uh, was married an Irishman. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Irish girl? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> well, aren't they called still Irishmen? Irishmen. I know. Not if you're a woman. Why not? Because you're not. She had Irish heritage. Oh, my God. Yeah, Continue. Yeah, much better. <laughs> Anyways, and she told my mom, she said, I would kill my, my son if he married a, an Irish woman. Wow. No, no, seriously. That, that, that was, was back that then. In the 60s, it, it still was. You know, so then I, who was a Kennedy, married a DiNapoli. So we felt that Ian and Bob broke the ground for us because they, go. they got married four years before <laughs> we got together. So, so, so that I was, married a frog. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, they, um, the family lived upstairs in the beautiful big red brick building, and the first floor was the funeral home. And so I remember Bob telling stories about his father warning his mother that there was a wake downstairs tonight, so make sure you don't make, cook anything with a very strong odor. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. No, no, this is this is true. This yeah. was living above the funeral home. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing that Bob talks about when he and his sisters were um, late teens, young adults, um, they would be going out in the evening, as people that age do, and again, they would get the warning. Remember, there's a wake downstairs tonight. No showers after 6 p.m. Oh. No showers? No showers? Well, because in those days, Wakes were held from 2 to 4 in the afternoon right. and 7 to 9 at right. night. Uh -huh. So they had to be, so from 7 to 9, everything had to be quiet oh, upstairs. Oh, okay, so you so the that. water, so the, the thoughts yeah, the of the, oh, that's you know, again, in an old building like that, yeah, the pipes yeah. would be, would mm -hmm. be wow. noisy. Uh, so those are some of the kinds of stories that we used to hear about what it was like to live above the So what's home. the difference between a funeral director and an undertaker? I'm not sure that there really is much of uh, a difference, although nowadays, um, in those days, the funeral director was also the undertaker, right. was also the embalmer, yeah. and so on. Now, most funeral homes don't have their own embalmer wow. on staff. They, really? Yeah. The, what they do is, and again, back in those days, especially, you know, pre-60s even, mm -hmm. and with that um, each funeral director owned the cars, the Cadillacs, and the right, horses, and yes. so on and so forth. Oh. Now most funeral homes do not own those vehicles. Yeah. They this um, lease them. A, a, yeah, they, they lease them from right. a facility that has uh, the access to those. Curses are us. Yeah, <laughs> just about that. And uh, so a lot of the embalmers actually are independent businessmen, and different funeral directors will mm -hmm. hire them to come 
to her. That makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, especially now that a lot of people don't even have wakes because people are going to be cremated. Mm -hmm. So there, there are different options. Mm. I can tell you because we've already made all our funeral arrangements. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this does not surprise me, but it's very thoughtful to do that. And I will also do that for my children. So yeah, no, it, it, it matters mm -hmm. because um, we know what we want. Yeah. We, um, we moved here to East Bridgewater. And while we um, could, from other family members, have uh, cemetery plots in Cranston, Rhode Island, mm -hmm. at St. Anne's Cemetery, which is the hugest Catholic cemetery in oh, Rhode yeah. Island, um, but we decided to buy some property over next door in Whitman. So at St. James Cemetery, we, we bought a funeral plot. Yeah. And we made all of our funeral arrangements. I've got my coffee can ready for me. Yeah, your coffee can. Chock full of nuts. It's yep. all set. Pour you in. Pour me in, and I'm set. Put the so lid we, on. Um, we uh, were out at the funeral at the cemetery one day, looking at where we might be buying a plot. Mm -hmm. My husband's kind of a wise guy, <laughs> uh, so we're looking at the dates on the stones near us, and my husband says to the uh, caretaker or supervisor of the cemetery, you know. I just want to tell you, I don't want to be next to any old people. <laughs> <laughs> and so I look at the stones around us, and I look at my husband and say, we're probably older now than a lot of those people that are already here. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it has a good view. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he wanted to record a lot. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But anyway, oh. but, you know, I think what the things that you do, too, just even doing cemetery tripping and talking about these things, because it's amazing how many people don't want to recognize the fact, honey, you're going to die. Everybody oh, yeah. does. <laughs> you know? Memento no Mori. <laughs> yeah. That's no how it is. It. And so My father-in-law thought he was going to live forever. Yeah. He swore he, would, he wow. was going to. Just to harass you or for some other reason? cantankerous for the rest of his <laughs> Actually, life? Actually, I was the only one he could get along with, yeah. <laughs> this does not surprise me somehow. I have no idea, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but well. Anyway. Thank you so much. But wait a minute. We, before oh, we go, this is Ghost go, Chronicles. Wait. Yes. No, no spooky stuff involved that you, you know, snuck no. in from the family talk. No, you know, I don't remember hearing any ghost stories about no, the house. Not necessarily ghost West stories, story. but anything uh, strange. Anything strange. No. I don't recall. But there is one member of the family still alive, and I will be seeing her in a few weeks, so I could ask you. Any stories? Now, uh, when you know. say a family member, they're one of the children. Yes, Sylvia Diorio. Is, she lives on the Cape. She's about eighty-five or eighty-six years oh, old. Oh, God bless her. And, um, My age. Yeah. So they. Uh, so we, we are in touch with her, and we and we'll be going down to see her probably oh, in a few good. weeks because Ann and Bob lived in Sandwich on the Cape uh, before they passed away. Well, wow. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, that was, that was a great story. Good. And thank you again for this hat, right. which is an amazing hat. I think the other thing that no one can tell by looking at it is how soft it is. Oh, it is. It's soft as a baby's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's Derriere. <laughs> hair, I was going to say. Baby's hair. It's soft. Baby's hair. Okay. Yeah. okay. That too. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Because like, when you're born, the baby's hair is really soft, and you go through life, and then things change. But when you get old again, your hair is soft again. <laughs> the mysteries of life, Ron. I know it's exciting. <laughs> well, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. And thank now you, you all know. Me.
the story of the Undertaker's hat. We're back. <laughs> Your worst enemy has returned. <laughs> this is so funny because this whole cemetery, this whole area goes downhill. So we're literally standing in like a in a hole on the other side of this grave. Oh my God. Yep. Uh, as, as we like to say in the business, this show is going downhill. <laughs> but um bum bum. So this is the grave of Kimball Sheldon, who in 1908 killed his wife and then committed suicide oh. in our little peaceful town of East Bridgewater. So, yeah. So what'd she do? She, what'd she do? She married him. That she was must her have, first she problem. She must have done something for crying out loud oh to, to tick him off. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure. So here's the deal. So poor Kimball Sheldon. He was a very wealthy, very, very wealthy man. Retired iron manufacturer. So yes, he, he had a manufacturing facility. I think, I believe it was right here in East Bridgewater as well. So he had all this money. They had a beautiful home down on West Union Street, gorgeous. I do have a picture and I'll drop it in. You can see how very beautiful it was. It's not still there, unfortunately. Like all the beautiful buildings back then, it burned down or was torn down, but a lot of them just burned down. So Kimball uh, was, I believe he was in his 70s, 76. He was 76, his wife was 73, poor Mrs. Sheldon. She was already in ill health. And he unfortunately had made a lot of bad business decisions, investment decisions. Marrying his wife. And <laughs> he lost pretty much all of his fortune, unfortunately. And he had been talking for a while before all this happened, the murder-suicide. He had been talking for a while to his friends and his family. Well, I'm gonna have to sell the house. We can't afford it anymore. Uh, we can't live in this style anymore to which we've become accustomed. Uh, Mrs. Kimball was ill, so really no telling how many days she had left. And one day he, he went downtown and had breakfast at a local establishment. And they have a plaque there. They don't have a plaque there. <laughs> they don't. Came back to the house and apparently bludgeoned his wife to death. That's and kind of a nasty way. I know. Isn't it a terrible yeah. way? So get this, right? Yeah. So he smacks her in the head on the bed. She's dead and half-dressed. Apparently only half-dressed. Thanks, Kimball. And then he goes in the bathroom and he opens all the gas jets and closes all the windows and stuffs, you know, stuff underneath the door frame. So why didn't he just bring her in with him? I don't understand this at all. And he died. And the mailman, the milkman, excuse me, found the bodies. The milkman came to deliver the milk. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Sheldon, got your milk. Jeez, where is everybody? Look at the house didn't blow up. I know. Hmm. Found, found them both dead. And apparently this was, this was not, a, it was not a surprise, I think, to poor Mrs. Sheldon. She knew what was coming. 
and they she had drawn up a will and he had sent a letter to a local physician a couple days earlier that said come to the house on the morning of September 5th 1908 and I'm gonna need you to tend to something right so it was all planned out all premeditated and here comes the doctor passes the milkman milkman's like hey they're dead doctor's like oh that must have been what he meant <laughs> that's funny so that's our little murder suicide by do you ever have a milkman mr kimball mr kimball sheldon yes yeah, we when i was a little right. kid yeah me too talking about murder suicides and milkmen we you, used to have a little you killed the milkman <laughs> no <laughs> The poor milkman, he must have been traumatized for the rest of his life. Isn't that awful? It's, that's terrible. Mm. But at any rate, yes, I used to have a milkman. We used to have a little, a little metal thing. little metal box yep. on the back step. Do and the milkman would so come cool. and Drop leave it. the milk bottles. Or you put your empties in it too yep. if you want to take it. Yeah. I remember that. I was very, very little. Yeah. Though. Quite a young gal. Yeah. So. Shoddy was ours. Shorty? Shorty. Shorty. Yeah, he was a good guy. Shorty. Yep, and uh, yep, he used to have the big, huge blocks of ice that he would put the milk on. Oh. Back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the... Before whatever. Tedeschi's and <laughs> CVS and whatever else. Walmart. All right, so we're done with Mr. and Mrs. Sheldon. God rest their souls. Just like he was done with his wife. But we have another place two. maybe two more places in this Ooh. cemetery to visit and we've just turned this into kind of one big cemetery tripping here in east bridgewater right sure it's one big cemetery tripping show but happy halloween we'll see you at the next location bye so here we are in another gravestone <laughs> but the good thing is i don't have to drag those damn chairs here we already had a built-in seat so <laughs> we left the chairs so, so what the is crypt. this place there in this is the Hobart family plot. We're still in Central Cemetery. And this is the plot of one of the founding fathers of our town, the Hobarts. There's lots and lots of Hobarts. But this particular Hobart owned the home that became East Bridgewater's Town Hall. Oh, which, it was a house originally, huh? Yes, it was a house. Oh, okay. It was a big house on the hill and Oh, the Hobarts owned most of this area. They were wealthy and they were bank presidents and very, very prosperous, things like that. So Aaron, Honorable Aaron Hobart built the home that is now the East Bridgewater Town Hall. And his wife was disabled, so they were the first, one of the first elevators. They had one of the first elevators in the United States. So Was that a Hobart, elevator? I don't know. Must have, because he invented the elevator. Must be. Yeah. Then it must be. Do you know I had an, uh, a uh, elevator license, operator's, operator's license? Really? Mm -hmm. To make it go up and down? To make it go up and down. <laughs> I bet that involved a lot of training. It was. It was. That's, okay. That's a true story. You needed, you needed, you needed a, license a license? For a freight elevator, yes. Oh, a freight elevator. Yeah, yeah. To close the doors and press the button to go up and down? Yeah, it was very technical. Okay. If you say so. Yeah, that's why we never had any woman operators.
You know, I can leave you here in the cemetery. No one will ever find you. No, you can't. It's my car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the keys. That's all right. No worries. Good. So anyways, we're at the graveside here because East Bridgewater Town Hall has been investigated. I investigated it with East Bridgewater's Most Haunted back in the day. And many, many other groups have also investigated there. I believe it's in Christopher Balzano's book because I sent him a picture of the town hall. Yeah, yeah. So there, Christopher Balzano, he said, he said to me online the other week, he's like, oh, you sent me that? Yes. Thanks for the photo credit. Yes, I did. No, he gave me photo credit. Oh, okay. He gave me photo credit in the book. I think he was the one who actually brought it up. So I just thought since we were in the neighborhood, we'd come and visit the Hobarts and one of the EVPs that we got in the town hall, because Mrs. Hobart still makes the elevator go up and down by itself. Really? She's still there? She's still there. Pushing buttons. She pushes buttons. Must that be, was the EVP we got. Must have been another murder sort of suicide. Buttons. Right? Yeah. No, she just died. Oh, okay. She died of old age. God oh, bless her pushing heart. Buttons, I <laughs> pushing buttons, I figured. Pushing So anyways, so we thought we'd come say, Hello to the Hobarts, and we can't get into town hall today, but we may uh, we may do some B-roll from that East Bridgewater's Most Haunted show, which was my very first show. So, were you the first to investigate that place? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think cool. we were. That's a claim to fame. I Check that little box off. Kind of caught on and, uh, afterwards. And this is, is this is the the tomb that you that you were uh, interviewed for the East Bridgewater movie? For the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Well, you actually got credit? Well, yes, I did. Hey, I had nothing to do with that. I was just asked to appear in it. Mm -hmm. And this is the very plot where Aaron Kaju filmed my 30 seconds of fame. There you go. <laughs> well, I was grateful to be in it, and it was, it was a great experience. So I thank them very much. Yes. So. We're back on the road again. We're going right. to wrap it up at the uh, crypt, right? Yes. On to the next haunted location. God bless us. I'll tell you, if I have to haul these damn chairs one more time anywhere. I said, Ron. You'll be leaving me in the cemetery. It would be so cool. What if we brought the chairs with us everywhere we went? He's like, yeah, yeah, that would be a great idea. Not. <laughs> then he had to lug them up hills and downhill and everywhere. On my head. <laughs> he didn't fall down though, so that's something. That's, yeah, I got the button on my cap driven into my brain. <laughs> so here we are at the crypt in the central central cemetery, which was donated by the first parish sewing society in 1857. Why not? Because you needed a place to put the bodies in the winter, and well, there you go. So. I love this crypt because... See, a lot of people don't... Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up because a lot of people don't know the difference between a mausoleum and a crypt. Oh, you know, right. They, they see them and they say, yes. oh, look at that. Some, yeah. Oh, this is a crypt. There must be bodies in there. But, mm -mm. So you want to tell, tell so our audience? Yeah. You had, in the winter, before the time of backhoes and things like that, the ground was too hard to bury people. So they had to basically put them on ice for the winter. So you had a crypt and you would store the bodies until the spring when you could bury them and put them in the ground. That's all a crypt was. And of course it was winter so they'd stay cold and yep. probably wouldn't smell too much. But a mausoleum 
is where you are interred. So your coffin is, you know, tucked into the wall and they put the marble slab over it and there you screw go. it in place. There you will spend all eternity. And, and you know, in the winter time, uh, way back in early times, they, you know, they couldn't always get the cemeteries. They didn't even have crypts in cemeteries on that. So they used to put the bodies in, this, in the cellar. Ah, yeah. And that's why a lot of people think that, you know, there's, there's haunting things going on in cellars. Huh? Because the, the bodies used to be kept there. They weren't, they weren't buried there. They right. were just kept there until spring, and then they would bring them up and give cold, them a cold storage. Christian burial. Yeah. Cold storage, so to speak, because mm. there was no heat in the basement. No. But we digress. But I do love this crypt because you can go inside. The door opens. But why? Because it's cool. <laughs> Is there any, like, stained glass windows? No, there's nothing fancy in this crypt. Yeah. It's nothing but you know spiders walls built into the side of a hill so nothing exciting but, but. wait till you hear this story oh you have a story i have a story i'm waiting with bated breath and it's not exactly i keep thinking of it as a murder but it's really not a murder per oh. se but it happened in east bridgewater to an east bridgewater resident and i'm going to tell you all about it all right, so this Please is do. called, I have called this the suitcase murder. So, two suitcases containing the dismembered body of a woman were found floating in the Merrimack River near you on September 1st and 2nd, 1923, in the area between Tingsboro and Lowell minus the head so the torso was in one suitcase and the limbs were in another suitcase ew okay so the state police well back in 1923 we did have state police they start looking into missing persons specifically alice wolschendorf of east bridgewater who had last been seen on August 21st, when her son Harold drove her into Boston and dropped her off on Commonwealth Ave, where she had an appointment with a Dr. Rob for a treatment for ongoing headaches. She hadn't been seen by her children since then. So a tip came in from a doctor in Brockton named Dr. Delva Swope. And he had seen Alice about four weeks prior for a medical consultation. She had told him that she was not feeling well and that she believed she was in a predicament. Dr. Swope couldn't help her, so he referred her to Dr. William Robb in Boston. She was last seen entering Dr. Robb's office on August 27th. Now keep in mind, her kids hadn't seen her since August 21st. She had four children. They were ranged in age from 12 to 20. So on September 14th, Alice was positively identified as the victim. How? They, she actually was identified through a ring that she was wearing oh. on one of her fingers. Okay. Her husband identified it and said, that's Alice's the head hand. Was missing, right? The head was still missing, so I had no head, mm. right? 
in the day be days before any kind of forensic. Uh, so, the circumstances of her death slowly came to light. So some background is that Alice and her husband, George Wolschendorf, ran the boathouse and bathhouse at Quincy Camp on Robbins Pond in East Bridgewater, which later became Waldorf Park, a very successful amusement and recreation area in East Bridgewater. Alice kind of got sick of the whole business. Maybe she got sick of George. I don't know. But they'd been separated for a few years, and they weren't living together at the time of her death. George lived at the camp. Alice preferred to live in town. She actually moved over to Bridgewater with three of her four children. The oldest one was 20, and she was married and working. So Alice supported herself by acting as a driver for William Bowen, who was a prominent real estate dealer in Bridgewater. Alice was 43, separated from her husband, and was most certainly in a predicament that would not only have been highly embarrassing to herself, but also to her 62-year-old married employer. Oops. It came to light, yep, you guessed it, she'd gone to see Dr. Rob in Boston for an illegal abortion. Things had gone wrong, and she died during the procedure. Dr. Rob panicked and decided that he needed to dispose of the body. Yeah. yeah. He apparently didn't count on the suitcases being discovered, probably floating to shore with their gruesome discoveries, gruesome contents. What happened to the head? I'm getting there. Wow. So, doctor, doctor the Brockton doctor, kind of kind of said you know he basically sent her into this guy in Boston and he's like oh shoot I know who's in the suitcase so that's how this all came to light dr. Rob never really he he never confessed but he he'd been in jail before for doing these services uh, I guess up in New Hampshire so he was tried and convicted for illegal surgery with a sentence of five to seven years. That's all he got, I couldn't believe it. He eventually revealed the location of the head and the pelvis of Mrs. Wolschendorf, which were recovered by the authorities. Dr. Swope was charged as an accessory before the fact because he sent her there. Mr. Bowen, the employer, uh, committed suicide and died. And George Wolschendorf filed lawsuits against both doctors for approximately $125,000, which was a lot of money Back then. in 1923. You gotcha. Poor Alice was put back together and buried in a family plot in the Central Cemetery, not here, but in Halifax, but has no grave marker. Or we'd be sitting at Alice's grave right now. That's right. So that is the story of the suitcase. Do you know that's really odd because in the 1960s in Beaver Brook, which is a tributary of the Merrimack, not far from where you were talking to, mm -hmm. the dismembered body of a woman was discovered. Really? Yeah. It was the Edgeley murder. Oh. Yeah. And there was more. It was. It's a really interesting case. There was uh, uh, fraud at a car dealership and everything else. It's a, and 
I will have to give you that information. In fact, I, I can. When did that happen? 60s. I oh, in the right. 60s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some like. Be and pretty crazy if it was back in the 20s and this was like another of that guy's no, victims. No, it was very it? similar. It was, it was very similar circumstances. And the um, the daughter of uh, Edgeley as well. Oh, he killed his wife. Mm -hmm. Although I don't think it was proven. His daughter was also murdered too in Methuen, Massachusetts back in the 90s. Wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Maybe cursed family, I don't know. Sounds like it. Well, that that is my East Bridgewater murder story. And that Another looks like murder it's story. the end of the show. Yeah, I guess it is. Are we going to say goodbye at the crypt here? I think so. Probably a good location. Sure. It's the end of the line. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Well, I have hoped that uh, you enjoyed all our little East Bridgewater stories today. And happy Halloween. <laughs> there you go. There's your cheesy laugh. It's my cheesy laugh. We will see you all next month. Maybe. Have a great Halloween. <laughs> Bye. Peace. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.